talking benefits. 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 Talking. Talking. Talk a little bit about benefits. Yeah, benefits. Talking benefits. You are listening to Talking Benefits. Every month, we cover the top stories in retirement and healthcare, the latest benefits, hot topics, and whatever else the industry throws at us. I'm Justin Held. I'm Ann Patterson. I'm Julie Stick. And I'm Kelly Colesrude. Now let's talk benefits. In this episode, we are taking a look at two related benefit plans, association health plans and association retirement plans. There are similarities and differences between association health and retirement plans. So Anne and I are chatting with Kelly and Julie to take a deep dive. I know that both these types of plans involve more than one employer. In fact, association retirement plans are also known as multiple employer plans, and association health plans in a past life were called multiple employer welfare arrangements. But before we get too far, let's clarify. Multiple employer plans are very different from multi-employer plans, correct? Yes, that's correct. A multi-employer plan is an employee benefit plan maintained under one or more collective bargaining agreements to which more than one employer contributes. These collective bargaining agreements typically involve one or more local unions that are part of the same national or international labor union and more than one employer. If the multi-employer plan is a Taft-Hartley plan, the plan sponsor is a joint board of trustees consisting of equal representation from labor and management. And in turn, these trustees are responsible for the overall operation and administration of the plan. So multiple employer plans, or MEPs, involve more than one employer, but there does not need to be the involvement of unions or collective bargaining agreements. That's correct, Dan. Okay. So it seems like more employees can get health and retirement benefit coverage under this type of plan, especially if they work for a small employer. Uh, Why have we been hearing a lot about association plans recently, do you think? There's been some interest due to the release of new government rules that expand and encourage the use of these plans. For example, an expansion of association health plan rules requested by President Trump. So let's jump right into association health plans. Sounds like a plan. Groaner. Uh, Oh, well. Sorry. (laughs) Kelly, let's start at the most basic level. What is an association health plan or AHP? Well, the official definition is that an AHP is health insurance coverage, and that means medical, dental, or vision, offered to a group of individuals and or employers through an association, trust, multiple employer welfare arrangement, or MIWA, purchasing alliance, or a purchasing cooperative. These plans can be fully insured or self-funded, although there are a few states that do not allow self-funded AHPs. So, Kelly, looking at eligibility, uh, who can use association health plans? Well, as the name implies, association health plans were designed for a group of employers who are members of an association. In the past, employers banding together to create an AHP had to satisfy very strict rules. And first and foremost, they had to have a commonality of interest outside of wanting to offer benefits to their employees. Also, in the past, self-employed individuals could not join an association health plan unless they employed common law employees. But under the new AHP rules, a group can band together for the sole purpose of offering health benefits, although it must also have at least one substantial business purpose in common. 
So this bis other business purpose could be demonstrated by activities like providing education or courses, convening a conference, or even engaging in public relations or advertising or lobbying. In addition, the group members must meet an element of commonality, but it is more relaxed than in the past. Specifically, the employers should either work in the same industry or profession, or their businesses should be in the same geographic area. Do these areas have to be within the same state? No, that's a new twist. A geographic area may include a metro area, for example, that crosses state lines. So that's new with these rules. And who can be covered by AHPs? Participation is open to the employer members. And so that in could include self-employed working owners, but it also includes the current and former employees and their spouses and dependents of the member employers. It can also include employees of the association. Kelly, are there any other stipulations for setting up an association health plan? Yep, there are a couple more. One is that the plan and its activities have to be controlled by the participating members, not an outside group or an associated group. Also, the group cannot be sponsored by a health insurer. Kelly, what about other laws that apply to employer health plans? Are AHPs subject to those laws as well? Absolutely. AHPs are subject to non-discrimination rules, so they can't deny participation to individuals or groups based on health status. Also, they're subject to ERISA and MIWA rules, and they do have to file annual forms with the Department of Labor. In addition, AHPs must follow other state and federal laws, such as COBRA, HIPAA, and mental health parity. And then there's the Affordable Care Act, or ACA. Association health plans are treated as large employers under ACA, and they avoid some of the small group health insurance rules that ACA imposes. One difference is that states are in charge of regulating AHPs, so there may be differences in rules between the various states. Kelly, from an employer perspective, there seem to be a lot of benefits here. Uh, what are some of them? Well, if you're the association or um, employers that are members of the group, as a group, you do have stronger purchasing power. And so that in turn allows members of the group, and those tend to be small employers or self-employed individuals, more health coverage options and probably at a lower price. Mm -hmm. The coverage provided can be more affordable for individuals than the coverage provided through the ACA public health insurance ex marketplace exchanges, partly because it avoids some of the ACA requirements, such as covering all of the essential health benefits. Also, the AHPs have the option to charge higher rates based on age, gender, occupation, and group size. Okay. Conversely, I assume there are some drawbacks to association health plans? Certainly there are. Obviously, if you can limit coverage or charge higher rates based on some of those things I just mentioned, you may, as an employee, end up with less comprehensive coverage. And these plans can be designed actually to be unattractive to those who are unhealthy by not covering or restricting access to some of the benefits. They also could be designed to attract younger, healthier individuals, and that leaves the older, less healthy people to find coverage in the ACA exchanges. And if that's who's left in the exchanges, then the prices or the premiums for coverage there could go up. Also, MIWAs have had kind of a spotty history in the past. 
and they may be vulnerable to fraud and insolvency. Mm-hmm. And some of that is due to uneven state regulation and enforcement. Okay. Kelly, a number of these drawbacks have raised some concerns, um, and they've resulted actually in some state-level legal challenges. That's very true. And the final rules for AHPs came out in June, and the very next month in July, the attorneys general from 11 states and the District of Columbia went together and filed a lawsuit against the Department of Labor over the expansion of AHPs, saying that really the goal of these rules was to undermine the Affordable Care Act. The suit alleges that the DOL overstepped its authority by redefining employer in a way that conflicts with ERISA and ACA. Also, expanding AHPs will increase the exchange premiums, as I mentioned earlier, and possibly lead to potential loss of coverage for those with pre-existing conditions and invite fraud, mismanagement, and deception. In addition, since the final AHP rules were released, some states have embraced the expansion, whereas other states plan to enforce existing state rules that are more restrictive than the new federal rules, or they've actually gone on to release new, more stringent regulations for association health plans, rolling back some of the expansions of this new DOL rule. Thank you, Kelly. It sounds like uh, it's important for employers to stay tuned to these evolving changes and uh, check the rules in the states where they actually do business. That's Uh, right. After the break, we are going to hear about association retirement plans from Ann and Julie. My manager wants me to research best practices for designing a new paid time off policy, and I'm running out of time. Well, Rose, you're a member of the International Foundation, right? Yeah, I just joined. Nice. So one of the perks to being a member is access to Got a Benefits question. You can call or email, and one of the benefits experts at the foundation will research your question and get back to you. Let me quick look up the contact info. You'd call 888-334-3327 and select option 5, or you can email infocenter at ifebp.org. Awesome. Thanks, Anne. This will be super helpful for other questions that I might have. For sure. You can visit www.ifebp.org membership for more information on God of Benefits question and other great products and services just for foundation members like you. Julie, we know there's a retirement crisis and more Americans need to be saving and preparing for retirement now more than ever. Do you think this is why association retirement plans are emerging as another option? You're right, Anne, it is. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, only 53% of Americans working in private sector small businesses have access to a retirement plan through work. Flip side, that means almost half don't. Small employers often don't have the wherewithal to sponsor their own plans. There are administrative and fiduciary challenges for employers that sponsor a plan, and having a plan requires staff and financial resources. Association retirement plans are being discussed as a way to expand access to retirement plans because they allow smaller companies to join together to offer one plan. So if you and I both owned an antique shop with a few employees, which would be pretty fun. Yeah. And we both belong to XYZ, Small Town Antique Shop Association. We could band together to create an Antique Shop Association retirement plan. Yes, that's right. Our Antique Shop Association could start a retirement plan that the member shops could join. 
then our antique shop employees would have access to a workplace retirement plan. Okay. So is this a new thing? Now, the name Association Retirement Plans is new, but the plan itself isn't new. Now, as you and Justin talked about way at the start of this episode, these plans have, until recently, been called Multiple Employer Plans, or MAPs. They've been around for quite some time. Currently, they're not very common, largely because of the way they need to be set up. So what is an association retirement plan or MEP exactly? Well, a MEP is a type of tax-qualified retirement plan that is maintained as a single plan in which two or more employers participate. It can be a defined contribution plan, like a 401k plan, or a defined benefit plan. Under ERISA and the Internal Revenue Code, MEPs are available to trade associations for their members to join, kind of like our antique shops example, or to professional employee organizations or PEOs that share a co-employer relationship with their clients and to employers that have subsidiaries. So pretty similar to what Kelly was talking about before with the association health plans. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that Small employers might like this type of plan because they may not otherwise have the resources to go it alone with a plan. Can you expand a little more on this? Sure. Now, with a MEP, a small employer could take advantage of economies of scale by being part of a larger plan, especially when it comes to paying fees for investments or record keeping. They can also minimize some of the administrative complexities that come along with having a plan, like reporting and disclosure requirements. Okay. At the end of the summer, I remember we started hearing more and more about MEPs. What's the latest news? Well, Congress has talked about changing the rules on MEPs for some time. And there have been hearings and bills introduced with little movement. But this past August, President Trump issued an executive order calling for an increase in retirement security for Americans. To increase access to retirement plans, he called on federal agencies to, quote, revise or eliminate rules and regulations that impose unnecessary costs and burdens on businesses, especially small businesses, and that hinder formation of workplace retirement plans, unquote. So one idea he mentioned at that time was expanding access to MAPS. So on October 22nd, the Department of Labor issued proposed rules on defined contribution maps under ERISA. Julie, do you know what the goal is of the proposed rules? Yeah, the goal was to expand access to affordable quality retirement savings options by clarifying the circumstances under which an employer group, association, or PEO can sponsor a workplace retirement plan. In particular, the proposed rule clarifies what constitutes employers under ERISA for purposes of establishing or maintaining an individual account employee pension benefit plan under ERISA. So it's a little similar to what Kelly was talking about with the association health plans with those rules. These particular rules didn't go quite as far in in liberalizing how employers defined as was done with the association health plans. Right. That makes sense. Do you know if any of the proposed rules cover the challenges that are facing small businesses trying to offer a plan? They do. Under the proposed rules, the underlying sponsor of the plan, so in this case, the employer group, the association, or the PEO, would be responsible for the administration and compliance of the plan. The sponsor would also be the plan's named fiduciary, taking on most of the plan's fiduciary obligations. But according to the proposed rule, employers would still maintain some limited fiduciary duties. 
For example, they would still be required to prudently select and monitor the arrangements of the plan and make contributions on a timely basis. Got it. So I've heard you talking excitedly about open maps. What are they? (laughs) And does the new rule address them? Now, open maps would be a type of plan where unrelated employers could band together to offer a multiple employer plan. Now, under ERISA, maps as they exist now require that there be a relationship between the companies joining together in the plan. So we'd be cool with our Antique Shop Association retirement plan as long as we were part of XYZ Small Town Antique Shop Association, but we wouldn't be okay if like I owned a pie shop, you owned an auto shop, and we weren't part of an association when we tried to form an association retirement plan. That is absolutely correct. Okay. We could not form a map under ERISA because we weren't related and we didn't have any commonalities. Now, the DOL's new proposed rule does not allow for open maps. DOL officials noted that they had to stay within the bounds of ERISA when they put this rule together. However, the DOL is asking people to comment on this topic. For example, should such an arrangement among unrelated employers be treated as one benefit plan under ERISA? Would Congress likely change ERISA to allow for open maps? There are some bills pending before Congress that address maps. One bill, the Retirement Enhancement and Savings Act, or RESA, would allow for open maps. A different bill, the Family Savings Act, would ease the commonality rules for MAPS. Now, the Family Savings Act has been passed by the House, and it'll be interesting to see if anything happens with retirement legislation before the current Congress ends at the end of 2018. Yeah, I mean, clearly MAPS and open MAPS for both retirement and the healthcare side will be something to watch well into 2019. So thank you, Julie and Kelly, for taking the time to give us a crash course in association plans today. It was really interesting. Yes, thank you all. That was fascinating. And I'm just about finished up with my Venn diagram of health and retirement plans. Ooh, another Venn diagram. (laughs) Excellent. Very exciting. We'd like to wrap up today with a listener shout out. We wanted to thank Randy Caldwell from the Metropolitan Washington Airport Authority for being a loyal listener to the Talking Benefits podcast. Thank you, Randy. And we will be back next month with a new episode. If you like what you hear, please rate us on iTunes. It helps others find the podcast. And subscribe to it in iTunes, the Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, or whatever podcast app you prefer, so that our episodes will automatically appear on your mobile device. Today's program is copyrighted in 2018 by the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans. All rights reserved. The opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers and not to be used as legal counsel. That was really good. (laughs) I think you should leave. That was really good. (laughs) 